This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley. I am Tim Priester, and we are here today to talk about a whole bunch of Notre Dame football because we've seen two full practices here within the last few days. Uh, lots of feedback, lots of uh, ideas for us to offer to you folks um, as we move closer to 19 days from uh, opening kickoff against Texas. And, and the, the main news of the last few days is the, the season-ending injury to Jerron Jones. We knew that he was not 100% back from the Liz Frank, the midfoot injury that he suffered and had surgery on in the offseason. But now a serious knee injury out for the year. It has a domino effect on the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, we started hearing about this on Friday, and I think I got wind of it Friday afternoon. And then you, I think, independently had heard about it Friday night, so we're kind of going back and forth trying to report it, and ultimately we're able to confirm that he was out for the year. And nobody was happy with the fact that we were reporting that news. No, (laughs) no. it was. uh, I mean, it was kind of like that's the bomb that happens to basically every team during training camp, it feels like. I mean, you know, last week we're – Noting how Clemson loses a starter for the year, Virginia, Virginia State loses a starter. Virginia for the year. lost Virginia the starting receiver. Um, you know, Arkansas lost their top running back basically for the year over the weekend. So that's that's sort of the carnage of training camp. Um, you know, just from a, I'll just hit, handle the replacement perspective. It's Jerry Tillery now, and he took all of Jerron's reps during spring practice. Anyway, it was interesting to hear Brian Kelly talk that they actually transitioned Tillery over to back up Sheldon Day at the three technique, which I think makes sense because he's a um, you know similar pass rusher today, uh, less so like Jerron Jones. But now you got to move back to the one technique. There's not a whole lot of difference here. I think that they'll be okay with Tillery early, but I mean O'Malley, you mentioned this. You know, Jerron Jones is a big freaking domino for this defense, and now he's out. It's it's. Whatever anyone thinks of Jerron Jones or how he was going to be, he's still not there. It's an absence at a position that needs at least two guys to contribute, especially when one's a freshman in Tillery. doesn't matter how good he is. Let's say Jerry Tillery is great, and Jerron Jones could have been his backup if he's that good. Jerron Jones is still out there to be his backup. That's the problem. There's a drop-off between Jones, Tillery, and then you go, hey, Cage can play five plays, is now Tillery. And Cage has to play what Tillery was going to play, which is 20 snaps. When Jerron Jones was injured at the end of last year, it was a big deal. Yes. It's still a big deal. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that hasn't changed. There's no reason for that to change. And I've just tried to make a point in talking about the defensive line. Pete, you and I have both kind of written a story about, you know, the end result of all this. And I'm not saying that it's it's not important and it's not a big loss. They are in much better position this year to deal with it than they were last year, and people have countered by saying, "Well, they were lousy last year." Yeah. So I understand that, but I, I, you know, I mean, we can't we can't answer the question as to how important the loss of Jerron Jones is until we start seeing games played with Jerry Tillery, Daniel Cage in his second year, and Isaac Rochelle at the at the an inside spot in, in pass rushing situations. So. I'm not underestimating it. Jerron Jones was a guy on the rise. Uh, he was still struggling a little bit health-wise from the midfoot injury that he had suffered. It's significant. But, you know, if a month into the season, Jerry Tillery's playing really well and Daniel Cage is a better player than he was last year and they're getting a pass rush with Rochelle, a defensive tackle, in third-down situations, mm-hmm. our perspective on it will be different. Sure, but it, it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be the end of the world, but... This is the domino effect. Is when when anybody else gets hurt now on the defensive line, it's a major deal. What if Daniel Cage gets hurt? He's 
He's a big guy. Yeah. You know, they, was Pete Makwa going to be playing? Well, you know what? I, will say, I do want to throw in Pete Makwa, I thought, was moving better on Saturday than I've ever seen him. That doesn't mean that he's ready right. to play, right. but I was I was actually a bit surprised at his conditioning on Saturday for whatever that's worth. The problem is, like, Tim, you've said, like, <laughs> if this happens, and then if this happens, and then if this happens as well, then Notre Dame will be okay, and that's... That's a problem. Like, you're asking for a, a parlay bet to hit there on the defensive is line. It, is it a stretch to think that Tillery will play good football and that Rochelle will be effective inside on third down? I don't think those are a stretch. I mean, a good, fo- good football for 65 plays? Jerry, that, T- Jerry Tiller. That's well, the, first of all, Jerry Tillery's best position is three technique, I think, long term. Yeah, I agree with and that. And so next year, when you get a Jerron Jones back healthy and you lose Sheldon Day, that's a dynamic that's a nice, uh, inside nice duo there. I know those uh, big ifs. Look, I, we're just no. th- this is our job to play both sides of the right. the net, and and that's all I'm doing. I, I I realize those are ifs, but the ifs last year were impossible to reach, whereas this year they're. It's, I'll it's, put you on the possible. spot with this to close out the subject. You said whenever Golson left, it didn't change your opinion on our aim season. When Jerron Jones essentially left, how does it? Uh, I mean, it, it. This is a little bit different, I, I, I think, and I, I mean, I think I could answer that better a month from now. Uh, although they could have already lost, or a month into the season, although they could have already lost to Georgia Tech by then, and then, and then all bets are off. But I think this is a little bit different because it's defensive line. Not that quarterback's not important, but I think we all feel that Malik Zaire can be a productive leader at that position. Um, a few more question marks with this. Just because of the proven nature and the confidence that you had with a healthy Jerron Jones, you're going to have a barrier there in the middle of your defensive yeah. line. All right, so I, we have seen three practices in total. We're going to see two more. I'm a little bit surprised with how many guys have actually surprised me, if that makes sense, because <laughs> yeah. I felt like this was a team we sort of knew what we were getting before training camp even started, and you know, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of revelations between – August 4th or whatever down in Culver Academies and you know when we walk into the stadium before the Texas game. So yeah, I have to, like Avery Sebastian has surprised me. Uh, I didn't expect him to sort of bubble up to the first team reps. I'm not saying that he's made a whole ton of plays, but I saw him as a pure backup and to me it's noteworthy when Brian Kelly admits that he's surprised because he gets asked who surprised you and he always says no one or nothing. And he said that Avery Sebastian is kind of surprised him a little bit. He was expecting a situational player, and now he sees a guy that might be able to help him in in regular defense. And I think that's important because we all love Drew Tranquil, but I think Drew Tranquil is out of position at safety, and there are things I loved about Matthias Farley last year, but I think he's out of position at safety, so it's great to have a third safety, every Sebastian in that situation. It allows him to maybe be the next guy in there. Um, You have to rotate a little. you know. It will be some situationally. I mean, it doesn't have to be a situational player. I think Kelly obviously looks... What happens if I lose Shoemate? I can now put in Sebastian. Right. It's not okay. I have to make sure Tranquil can right. do this. I, I still want to see Sebastian in the open field a little bit more. Yeah, I still yeah. have real doubts about his ability to cover space there. Uh, but for me, that I mean, I, I think we're all a little bit surprised that, that uh, although Pete, you got indications during the summer that Deshaun Kaiser was really coming on. Uh, the way we saw it, we have seen him throw the football, I think has been a little bit surprising. Tim, you have said. He's thrown the football better than any quarterback in camp, and I would agree from an accuracy standpoint that's true, but we know Zaire's a better leader. But right. uh, So that that's a real positive. They needed a, a second guy to step up there, and that's a real positive. Nick Wisher, I think, is the guy that oh, I did yeah, not expect to be saying during uh, the preseason how he's come on. I mean, he... <laughs> 
he roots himself in at that goal line, and you are not going to move him off the football. And that's a that's a, a natural, normal route in the red zone for uh, or, or for a place for the tight end to settle in. And I'm here to tell you, he is not going to be denied very often with the football coming in his direction. They're going to have to start getting better players on him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're going to have to put Jalen Smith challenging him down there because he's <clears throat> tearing up. The second string guy, the second string safeties and linebackers they're putting on him. Yeah, I'd say the safeties overall have yeah. really struggled against the tight ends, yeah. and it's not like Durham Smythe has been 100% healthy. He's had a hamstring lately. Alize Jones missed some time. So, yeah, I mean, Nick Wisher's kind of one of those guys who has an opportunity because of injuries, and he's really taken advantage of it. And that Notre Dame safeties have, have kind of struggled on him, so it's been impressive. Clearly there have been numerous freshmen that, that have that have popped out here in the preseason. I mean, Equinemius St. Brown, who is a beautiful-looking athlete, but when I first looked at him, I said, he probably isn't ready strength-wise. Well, Brian Kelly says he runs like a deer and he catches everything, and he's in the mix. And, and the reason, in addition to him playing well, that he's in the mix is that behind Will Fuller is Corey Holmes, who we saw had a, had a good day, and I, and I wouldn't put him in that category the last two times, and they need a backup to Will Fuller. Torrey Hunter's a possibility there. I think he's had a good camp. But St. Brown is is now a very strong possibility as well. And I think they like Hunter in the slot. I think he's started to settle in there. And you mentioned St. Brown. We see them sometimes in these one-on-ones. I'll look back at the notes and I'll say, oh, he beat a freshman. He beat a backup. I mean, he ran by Cole Luke on a stutter post like he was standing still. Yeah. And Luke got him back later, but still to do that. Yeah, it's like St. Brown is, I'm like, is that Corey Robinson or St. Brown? And I was 86, 88. Yeah. But just the fact that they seem to be similarly productive is a compliment to St. Brown. Because, I mean, Corey Robinson has not bubbled up to the first team a whole lot during camp, but he's still a very, he's a, a good player who's got room to improve. But St. Brown is a freshman who shouldn't know what he's doing. I mean, you look at freshman receivers under Brian Kelly, they almost never play. And, even more rarely is you know, will they come out and produce him. He's Will Fuller and Corey Robinson got on the field as freshmen, but I think they totaled seven catches between them. Um, you know, Justin Brent, Corey Holmes last year did nothing, and so Tavares didn't play. Tavares didn't play. You know, T.J. Jones was a huge exception. So, I mean, we're I, I bet we're talking about these freshmen, St. Brown, and the defensive backs with like Nick Coleman have really impressed, but I don't think at the end of the year we're going to be saying a whole lot about them just because they have depth of Sander, those positions. I, Sanders, C.J. Sanders, Sanders and Sean Crawford, yeah. they might be the exceptions to that position because C.J. Sanders can help you on special teams. We saw he had a great punt return touchdown on Saturday. And then Sean Crawford is getting some work as the first team nickel. I would be surprised if he could move Messiah Farley out of there, but you look back at Eliza Shume as a freshman as a first team nickel. Maybe that's where Sean Crawford can really contribute. I, I think he has a different skill set than Farley, and this is the biggest. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's athletic. Yeah, <laughs> this is the biggest compliment I'm going to pay him. Yeah, he is a jerk on the field, and that's great. Sean Crawford is a competitive, he's, angry kid on he's that field. Like, to me, he's he is a Ronald Darby type athlete, yeah. where you just you watch him play, and there's a explosive stick of dynamite quality about him that Matthias Farley just doesn't right. have, and most defensive backs don't. Um, but Crawford really has that kind of like just explosive pop in his yeah. game, and he's very, very confident. He was dying to throw down a receiver in that everybody stay up drill when you hit yeah. him, but you're not allowed. To, he was fighting with Carlisle. You could tell I, he wanted to fling him out of bounds so yeah. badly, but he knew he's not allowed to do that. In terms of, of disappointments, I, you know, I, most of mine I think have been in the secondary. 
you know, especially on the back end. I mean, Farley, and again, you know, I think we need to clarify that we've seen three out of 11 practices. And even when we see those three practices, you can't watch the whole thing. It's not like reviewing game film where you have an opportunity to see every play. And so, you know, th- these are snapshots, I, I, I would I would warn. But uh, Matthias Farley has really struggled on that inside release, uh, is staying up, and which is why we're hearing Sean Crawford in the mix now, Drew Tranquil. Again, I think maybe sometimes people get too caught up in the, the notion that he's listed as a safety Although, as you point out, Tim, he had to play safety last year at the end of the year with the injuries. That Hopefully that he isn't put in that situation. He's an in-the-box safety, um, and, and he w- he proved pretty effective. effective there were, and he could also rush the passer as he well. He also tore his ACL not that long ago. Right, and I think right. people sort of, like, uh, uh, probably at Brian Kelly's well, urging, because he's been like, his rehab has been so great. Right. But it's still an ACL yeah, no that doubt. he played through in the second half. So the late November. This may, this may be sort of like a rehab rebuild season True. for Drew Crane. True. Uh, the other DB that has struggled, Devin Butler, and, you know, I think more and more now well, with better the better on Saturday. He oh, was, well, he was better on Saturday. He was real competitive. I mean, he he does not have the makeup speed that Luke or Russell have or, or, or even Coleman Nick, or, Nick yeah. Watkins. But, I mean, he, he fought Jalen Guyton on a bomb that he got beat on, and he, he recovered and got his hand in there and ultimately stripped the ball out. But I... I, I think Devin Butler is just in a position. We talked about this over the summer. He's 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 kind of like a safety who's stuck playing corner. Well, right or now. a corner in the Diaco system that yeah, doesn't work nearly as well with the Van Gorder system. A couple other guys. I mean, I mentioned Corey Holmes. I think that he he needs to finish his camp really strong in order to, to be in the rotation. You know, Josh Barajas has been injured. But his physical conditioning coming into camp was 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 not where it needed to be, or so it appeared. Maybe that contributed to the to the injury. Okay. I, I mean, I, ha- I I agree with you. Corey Robinson hasn't popped up on the first team, and I just I, I I'm not sure that I'm seeing progress of him now. He got banged in the in the face the other day and really kind of wobbled off the field. So, you know, it the dog days of camp come pretty quickly. Um, you know, especially when you throw in some two-a-days in there. It, it's starting to get hot here again. It's going to be a hot week, and, uh, you know, it starts to catch up to some guys. We're dissecting the middle and lower portion sometimes. I think it's fair to say and important to say their three best players are look great. Jalen Smith, Kavari, Russell, and Ronnie Stanley don't just look like they're Notre Dame's I, three best because they're on Notre Dame. They I look we all nationally great. That. Yeah, no question. All right, well, that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a handful of questions from our readers up next. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is our questions from the readers, starting with ND Locks. Given the abundance of coaches on the offensive side of the ball with either head coaching or coordinator level experience, what are your impressions thus far of Mike Sanford in general and on his role in running the offense in particular? Hard to get a read on and a great question. Uh, it's something that I wanted to talk to Brian Kelly about at Media Day, maybe less so about Sanford and more understanding how Bob Elliott and Jeff Quinn sort of fit into the mix because I mean, you're watching practices. Jeff Quinn sort of looks like the assistant tight ends coach and the assistant special teams coach. Bob Lillard looks like the walk-ons coach, working with guys as you know they figure. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Like his off season was figure out how to stop the option. So, I, and in the offensive side of the ball, you know, is Mike Sanford the offensive coordinator? Is it actually Mike Denbrock? Is it actually Brian Kelly? Um, they've got a lot of chefs in the kitchen there. And I think how those dynamics play out is going to be really fascinating this year. 
can it work out? Should it work out? Yeah, it should. Um, but it's it's just going to be sort of an interesting story to follow. And I, I don't know how it's all going to shake out. Yeah, I think there's two good ways of looking at this. Number one, how is what's Mike Sanford's role in particular? I'd like to speak for Notre Dame Media and say we don't know. And we're going to ask and find out. It, I mean, you can't tell. I, uh, but number two would be, I think he's working with the quarterbacks this year. I think he's he's offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach as a title. I think he's been assigned to the quarterbacks. I would even flip now. those. I'd say he's the quarterbacks coach. Sure, but I'm saying his, his actual title. But I yeah. think he's taking the quarterback coach part. Yeah. I think he's with Zaire Kaiser Wimbush, and that's what he's going to be doing. Right I now. agree with you, Tim. If anybody in the media says that they understand Mike Sanford's role based upon the three practices we've been able to watch, they're, they're not telling the truth because they don't know. Um, and I do agree that it appears – well, I mean, clearly – Mike Denbrock is in charge of the offense during the, during practice situations. Um, you know, he, you can hear his voice. You know he's in charge by the way he commands the huddle. Um, I did want to mention, and I and I did mention this in the practice report, Pete, you, you mentioned Bill Elliott, uh, or I'm sorry, Bobby Elliott. Um, he was working with walk-ons. There was a period there early on where he was working with walk-ons on offensive players on option football, and, and I think that's great. There are a lot of times where walk-ons are just standing around. You can take those guys over there and brush up on the option game, which you're going to have to deal with in week three and then week six, six. I believe it is, before USC. So um, so that's going to come fast and furious, and the more that they can uh, condition in, in that and, and work on those kind of things, the better prepare, the better look they'll be able to give the number one defense yeah all right washington d from what you've seen so far will this be brian kelly's best offense at notre dame you know statistically i'm on the record as saying no in in every way because last year's offense before they shot themselves in the foot on so many drives was very good it was he had 32 points a game was by far his best offense 54 touchdowns was his best 62 red zone trips was i believe eighth in the country 62 trips into the red zone oregon had 80 um ohio state baylor georgia tech Michigan State, Georgia, TCU, and Alabama, and Bama had 64. So those are the teams that had more than Notre Dame. All good teams, obviously. And Notre Dame scored touchdowns in the red zone at a better clip than the almighty running game of Wisconsin. That's pretty good. The problem is, when they didn't score a touchdown, they got zero points. <laughs> they didn't get field goals. They turned the yeah. ball over. Yeah. They botched snaps. So it was a bit of an outlier. I think they had a statistically great offense last year, but this offense can be more effective. Because you can control the game with this offense, you can dictate to the opponent for four quarters. Not be, you know, sometimes you're playing haphazard games and stuff. But statistically, no. On the field, yes. Total offense numbers probably slightly down because it's, there's going to be a shift. You're going to see more rushing yardage and less passing yards, and obviously you can accrue more passing yardage more readily. So I think that'll diminish. I I, I don't. Would they average point wise thirty thirty two point eight? I mean, I, I think yeah. that they can. I think they can. They can approach that. I, I, I think it's it's clear that the rushing total is going to, it's going to be the highest at least since two thousand twelve. Sure. Okay? So it'll either be the second highest or or first in the Brian Kelly regime. And really, I mean, it should go over that. I mean, it should be a comfortable two hundred yard rushing offense. Um, I don't think they should be scraping by in that department at all. And so, if you like rushing offense then, yeah, this will be the best offense. If you just like a lot of points and yards, then probably not. I think I think this style of offense gives them a better chance to win. It protects the defense better, which has never been a concern of Brian Kelly, but I think it's important that you do that, certainly at least until Malik Zaire proves that he can be a consistent force in the passing game, which is, 
it's just that's going to be hit and miss. We 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 are going to take as many times as Golson turned the football over. There were so many great passes he threw that we took for granted that you're gonna it's going to pop in your head. You're gonna say Golson would have made that throw. Golson would have made that throw. And it sounds strange to say, but you can have a better offensive day when you score 28 points than 35, depending on how the game goes and how it's dictated. It's some. Yeah, have you yeah. watched Stanford? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, those look pretty good. All right, next up, Blue Chip Man. What is your opinion on how defenses will play Zaire early in the season? Say Texas, for example. Will they use a lot of deception and blitz, a lot of both runs and passes, banking on his inexperience to pick it up and try to make Notre Dame pay? And how do you think Notre Dame's running back depth will affect that dynamic? Well, I don't think there's any doubt that we're going to, going to hear Brian Kelly Talk about seven and eight guys in the box. There's, there's no doubt that that's he does every year. But that's going to come. That's what they're going to do to Malik Zaire. Prove that you can beat us through the air. I think their teams are going to show that all year. There's no reason why you would approach it any differently than that. I'm hoping they try to beat him on the ground when there's seven or eight guys in the box still, though. That's my goal for a real running team. (laughs) A real running team will will do that, absolutely. Uh, I think I said this in the last question, but have you watched Stanford? Yeah, Yeah, it's like it wouldn't make any sense not to load the box. Why would you pass against Malik Zaire? Uh, You know, so it's like you stick a couple guys over towards Will Fuller, load out the box, and see what happens. Because I. With Malik Zaire, the intermediate passing game is that's just not going to be his strength. I think he can chuck it deep very, very well. He's got great arm strength, and he's got receivers who can adjust to the deep ball. I think the short stuff is okay. It's sort of reading zones, finding pockets between linebackers with crossing routes. That, I think, is is just not his strength. So load up the box and see what happens. I think that's how Texas will play it. And I think to... For his question, he mentioned a lot of deception. I do think you'll see a lot of deception, trying to confuse him at first, because I mean, maybe not at first, maybe all the time. It's a, it's an, it's an obvious way to go with it. But what interesting thing about that is that was one of Golson's Achilles' heels. He, he wanted teams to do that. He, he actually said to me on media day, "I like the chess game. I like being Peyton Manning at the line of scrimmage." And I remember thinking to myself, "That's not what I wanted to hear." But I do think you'll see a lot of deception against uh, Zaire, and you don't have to answer with a lot of adjustments. You just have to make the right read and the right play. All right, our next question is from Zur, and it is Nick Saban recently commented that college football has changed and that relying on a sub-package-heavy defensive scheme doesn't work anymore. Is Notre Dame embracing an out-of-date defense with Brian Van Gorder? I think that Brian Van Gorder <laughs> is coming to terms that he needs to modernize a little bit with substitution packages. And, and this is kind of one of those things where... Whatever they say during the preseason, you need to verify that against Texas and against Virginia and against Georgia Tech because we just don't know how you know true that is, how much they're going to sub. I, th- I think they outsmarted themselves at times with substitutions. I often watch these defensive linemen having to run 25-yard sprints to get off the field and wonder, like, wouldn't they be more rested if they just kept playing? Um, it just seems overly burdensome with the substitution packages i get i get base and i get nickel and i get you're in third and forever but i think shuffling guys in and out by the play has it's it's just tough to do i think the way notre dame's defense is set up james on was put on a lot more weight i think that they should be able to be much more stout in a four three base and so I think that that become, you know, does that maybe diminish the utility of going nickel because Anawalu is, is bigger and I think is is a pretty good athlete that you're not going to lose a ton there and he's more experienced. 
I, I don't know how Notre Dame's going to play that, but I, I do think they need to sub less, and Brian Kelly has admitted that when they're on the far hash, teams were kind of manipulating Brian Van Gorder's sub packages there where Notre Dame was hoofing to get on the field and they weren't ready to weren't ready to play. This is funny because a couple years ago we were sitting in the press box, I was sitting next to Pete against Purdue, the, that 2012 Notre Dame-Purdue game that was so close, and we saw fourth and goal from the 10. Notre Dame and their base D and oh, Carlo Calabrese lined up in the slot against Purdue's best player in TV and Edison. Pete just looked at me and goes, well, that's a touchdown. And you know, it's... It was, and, it was. And, and it was a touchdown. But everyone wants a three-down linebacker. If you have three-down linebackers, you don't have to make as many situational substitutions. Yeah, and that's... I mean, certainly you don't want to have to sub. And as you mentioned, yeah. there's situations. There's nickel and there's third and forever. You know, Farley could be your nickel. Third and forever probably shouldn't be Farley. Just, so, that's where Sean Crawford comes right, into play. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think they got the personnel. You know, I think Alabama's in a much better position to get by without having to go to sub-packages, too, because they've got a higher brand of of a higher caliber of player across the board. I mean, this is all contingent upon whether you can, if you want to make substitutions, you've got to get them in before you get beat by the hurry-up, fast-paced offense. I agree with what you're saying with... Pete with 320 pound linemen running off the field. Yeah, I mean, over like, the, is that advantageous yeah. for Daniel Cage? <laughs> no, yeah. it, it it's not. But I mean, I, I you know I think there's a happy medium here. Brian Van Gorder's uh, defense is not that far out of date. He just came from the NFL 18 months ago. Yeah, and I, one of the things I am curious about is the and a, the give and take between the players and to a man they've all sort of talked about how Van Gorder is much more comfortable with them and vice versa. I think that's a positive for Notre Dame. Um, you know, it is kind of one of those preseason talking points that, you know, every year in year two, it's like we're much more comfortable in year two. That's <laughs> happening at every program anywhere. But I do think Van Gorder's defense was so overwhelmingly complicated at times last year that year two is more significant there, that, you know, that you've given these players more time to digest. It's not like this was basic and it's year two of basic. It's, you know, you're you're a little bit more fluent in what Van Gorder wants you to do, and the players are talking about how they can anticipate the calls before they came in. And Elijah Shoemate joke last year was, last year the only thing we could anticipate is if it was the end of the game, it was either going to be like a crazy blitz or we were going to sit back. That was it. That was the only sense of anticipation we had. Now I think they kind of get like, well, we want to play third and six this way, or on second and ten after incompletion, this is probably what it's going to do. That that could be significant for Notre Dame. We're well into week two of preseason camp. We will come back for our next podcast on uh, Monday, August 24th. We'll have an opportunity to, uh, we got a big day tomorrow on Tuesday. It's media day in addition to uh, practice observations and then again at the end of the week. And then from that point, over the final two weeks, we will not have any opportunity to see him on practice. And I think it's been, uh, Pete, I think you'd agree that this has been a pretty good setup for us in preseason. A lot of times it's been kind of hit and miss, but when we get an opportunity to see a full practice, and to do it five times, uh, I think I think Notre Dame's been pretty fair to the media. So, anyway, wrapping up here today, we'll be back on Monday, August 24th. I'm Tim Priest with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley.